My talk at this event was centered around the economics and the societal changes that might happen if the idea of manufacturing machines making themselves, in other words, in general, robots making themselves, becomes widespread. Um, some people are rather fearful of this prospect, um, but to them I always say the following. Um, you have to remember that things copying themselves is the technology that human beings first had, and it's the one we're most used to, because it's farming. Farming is entirely concerned with things that copy themselves. It's our oldest industry. And so it's something we're really used to dealing with. And there's no reason why that principle shouldn't be moved into engineering and architecture and other what we might call non-biological or traditionally non-biological fields. So self-copying, the impact that that will have on the world. I'm supposed to be an expert, but um, whenever anyone studies experts, they find that they're no better at saying how things are going than anybody else. Of course, everybody is very concerned about the impact that both of these things, AI and robotics, are going to have on employment. Um, I'm old enough to remember three times that everybody's had similar concerns. Uh, the first one I was a child, when computers, large computers the size of this room, first came in. And then in the 1980s when the microprocessor came in, people said the same thing. And now people are saying it again. By induction from my experience, I suspect the impact on employment will be less than people perhaps fear. On the other hand, the impact on wealth creation will probably be quite large. Each of these technologies has allowed enormous creation of wealth over the whole world um, when they came in, as have many other technologies. And so I think that the main impact will be on increased wealth rather than reduction in employment. Though we do need to take measures, political and social measures, to ameliorate the problems for employment that will, will be there, though they won't be as big as some people fear. If I'm known for anything, I'm known for having reduced the cost of 3D printers. Um, when I started my work in 2004, 2005, the cheapest 3D printer you could buy cost about 40,000 euros. And my work managed to reduce that to about 400 euros, in other words, by a factor of 100. And that's made an enormous difference to the world's 3D printing industry. Um, but I should say that this is a lie. I'm about to say a lie. Um, I'm not interested in 3D printing. <laughs> that was a lie. I am interested in it. But my primary interest is in having a machine copy itself. And it seemed to me when I started my project that 3D printing was the best technology to use to have a, a machine copy itself. In other words, to have a 3D printer print the parts for another 3D printer. And that project went worldwide and the majority of 3D printers that are made these days um, are 3D printers that, that are printed in other 3D printers. Uh, perhaps I should first explain what RepRap stands for. It's a word that I invented and it's a, an abbreviation of replicating rapid prototyper. Um, 3D printers, when I started the project, were called rapid prototypers by engineers, and that's the origin of the phrase. Um, one of the things that I did with the project 
was to open source it, to give all the data away free. And that was for a very practical reason. If you've got a machine that copies itself, it's virtually impossible to tell people whether they may or may not copy it using some legal framework like patents or whatever. It makes no sense. So uh, I open sourced the project so anybody can make one. Um, and at the moment, it's had quite an impact in small-scale engineering, um, prototyping, and also in scientific research. Lots of research laboratories use these machines now for making one-off prototypes for various experiments, right from the biological sciences, things like tissue engineering, where the machines are being used to print living materials, uh, through to conventional engineering, where the machines are being used to print plastic parts for machines. Um, so the, the impact of the project has been quite broad, um, and uh, it's only 12, 13 years old, I guess, since, since we really got working on it, um, which is not very long, so that, that's been quite gratifying. Three of the students and, and I had a, a conversation for several hours about all sorts of things, from, from love and death to, to everything. So. We weren't, we weren't actually talking all the time about their work, even. Um, they seem wonderful people. Um, in fact, the biggest conversation I've had with them was not during their work, but over dinner. Um, but they seem to me to be incredibly perceptive and intelligent people. And I should say that my background is as a university teacher, so I'm used to dealing with people who perhaps have those qualities in a greater amount than, than people in the general population. Um, so very impressed and um, looking at the work that they're doing I've seen little snatches of it particularly some of the stuff that they've been designing to be 3d printed um, that seems to be very original too so uh, a good impression overall. Uh, assuming that the young are in the process of, of learning um, the most important thing about education is to teach people to ask the right question. Almost nothing else matters compared to that. And if the education that people receive enables them to ask the right question in almost all the circumstances in which they find themselves, then that education has been a success. And the people being educated should perhaps bear that in mind and if this is advice, then, then this is what my advice is. Perhaps bear that in mind when they're learning things. Um, facts are easy to look up, but organizing your point of view so that you are examining something from the correct perspective to produce a useful answer is much more important.